when Alex says it's not a media company and when I say it's a media company, what we fundamentally mean by that is that we don't want to be driven by page visits and advertising. This was the driving factor for, for us to start writing. Besides the fact that we, we wanted to showcase what we were thinking about and our passion for geospatial, this is what has kept us going because we believe that there is a better way of communicating geospatial to the rest of the world and geospatial to geospatial experts as well. And we don't believe that way is the way that the traditional media companies within the space have done. My guests today are Mutu Kamar and Alex Bukowski, who are the two people behind the GeoAwesomeness website. For a bit of context, GeoAwesomeness started in 2011 by Alex, and then soon Mutu joined, and since then has become basically one of the go-to resources for geospatial content online, which now has a lot of people contributing and writing to the website and has amassed millions of page views over the years. To me, the craziest part is that they've both been able to build that while keeping full-time jobs. As someone who's trying to put content out there alongside having a full-time job, I wanted to understand a little bit better about how they managed to do it, but also how they managed to do it for so long. They've not only built a community of people who read and consume their content, but also people who are engaged and create some of their content online. Behind the scenes, they've also been great supporters of the podcast, and I wanted to understand a little bit better about that and kind of how they're thinking about, let's say, the media landscape in the geospatial world. Before that, I'd like to thank today's sponsor, which is, again, Element 84. They've been sponsoring the show, and I'm really thankful for it. Element 84 is a geospatial software engineering company, and they work mostly with large-scale impact projects. So... I think one of the best examples of that is how they've taken the Sentinel-2 optical imagery and they've worked to put it on AWS, Amazon Web Services, to make it a lot easier to access. I've had Dan Pillon, their CEO and co-founder, on the podcast at episode 16, so you can head there, I'll put that in the show notes or description, to listen to more about how they're thinking about the company. With all of that said, here's my conversation with Mutu Kumar and Alex Bukowski. know how I, how I start these. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy to have you guys on the podcast. I'm quite excited to, to talk about geo-awesomeness. Um, but yeah, you guys know how I start these. I, I like asking people how they would uh, describe themselves. So curious to know how you guys would describe uh, each other as well. Um, so yeah, Alex, how about you, you, you get started? How would you describe yourself? Oh, I'm Alex Buczkowski, founder of... Uh... Geosomeness blog together with Mutu. Uh, and this is what I do after hours, but during my daytime activities, I'm a director at PwC, working also in geospatial industry because I lead PwC Global Center of Excellence in Drone Technologies, which is also kind of exciting thing to do uh, during a day. And now, how would I describe Mutu? I was going to ask about that as well. I, I would describe Mutu as a very good friend with whom we've had amazing journey over the course of the past uh, 10 years. Yeah, Mutu, how would you... Uh... Now the bar is pretty high. You know, you can't say like, oh, working with Alex pretty hard and all that stuff. So how would I describe Alex? 
uh, I guess. I mean, of course, Alex is a very good friend of mine. We've known each other uh, for more than a decade now. Um, we actually know each other even before we started working together on Geo Awesomeness. So I guess good friend is definitely on the books. Um, another term that I would use to describe Alex is uh, very geospatially sound in the sense that he's always able to think about what comes next and what will be the next trend in geospatial, what will be the next development in geospatial. That's one of the things that Alex is quite uh, good at, quite gifted at. And you, you can't uh, evade the question. Like, I want to hear how you would describe yourself as well. <laughs> um, the, the, the answer that I'm a good friend of Alex was not good enough. Um, <laughs> Well, um, okay, um, I guess that's a bit more simpler for me. How would I describe myself? So um, I'm one of the many people who keep geo-awesomeness going. Um, that's my, let's say, geospatial connection. I am somebody who likes to build communities. I'm, I am somebody who likes to bring people together. And I work on geo-awesomeness during um, evenings and uh, weekends and whenever we find time. And what I do during the day uh, is working as a system architect uh, for the German railways uh, for Deutsche Bahn, trying to digitize the, the railway operations and uh, making railways more competitive in the European market. Now, the, the question I wanted to ask you guys is, how do you describe geo-awesomeness? What, what is geo-awesomeness? Because like, it's something that you guys do on the side. If you're you know, at Christmas or you're with family, with friends, like how do you describe the, the work that you're doing at GeoAwesomeness and, and what GeoAwesomeness is? Let me maybe go first um, because I had one of the most interesting um, experiences when I tried to describe what we do to a friend of mine who now is one of really good friends of mine. Um, the first time we met and um, my former roommate told her, ah, he's uh, the guy that I told you who has a blog. And I explained to her what we do. Uh, she could not understand what we would, what we are working on, and why people would read the blog. So it was, and she said it to my face. She was like, "So let me understand this. Uh, you write about maps. You write about geo stuff, and people read it. Why? <laughs> this, <laughs> this was uh, every surveyor's dream, I guess." Yeah, uh, I can add to this. My wife mm -hmm. always says, oh, you guys only rewrite the internet. <laughs> like you, <laughs> you are looking for some you know, news and information about maps and that's your comments and like basically write the internet. Who would go for it? But somehow <laughs> over the course of the past uh, 11 years, I think that like close to 40, 14 million people visited the page. Uh, so you no, know, it's it's a number that keeps astonishing us. I mean, it all started as a small uh, website that I started to 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 write as a student. And then somehow organically it grew to a bigger project. You've asked what it is. I mean, we, we keep. Uh, discussing it with Mutu because it's it's you know, hard to hard to define really what it is. We want it to be a community of you know, geospatial professionals 
We wanted to be a bridge between the geospatial people and non-geospatial people who could benefit from geospatial data and technologies. So, and we are slowly, slowly getting there. But I would say, you know, organically at its own uh, pace. And you know, where we'll be in the next uh, ten years? I mean, it's be, or five years, or maybe a year. It's it's probably you know hard to say, hard to judge. But you know, one thing that that is certainly clear uh, for me that. And I hope for Mutu as well that you know, this is uh, this is something we do for fun. This is something that we do you know, for all of these years after hours. Something that we do not really for profit. No matter where it leads us, uh, I think that the journey to to get there is what keeps us you know, going and being excited about geosomeness. Yeah, like Alex said, it has evolved uh, over the years. And that's what I like about your awesomeness that we started out um, as a website, as a blog for young graduates uh, to showcase their passion for geospatial technologies and to showcase what um, competitive edge they bring to the table for any potential um, employer who might be interested in understanding what these uh, geospatial professionals are up to and it now is a community platform for everyone and anybody who's interested in sharing their opinions and expertise with the rest of the geospatial community and with the rest of the world regardless of whether that's written directed at geospatial experts or whether that's written and directed at non-geospatial experts and regardless of whether that's even written content i mean you know whether that's podcasts like people from you maxim or um, aravind and daniel and the many others who are producing podcasts or whether that's videos so we just wanted to be the platform where people can get to know the geospatial industry get to know the people behind the geospatial industry and yeah have fun while we are at it because of course um, Alex is right if we did not have fun uh, doing this we would have stopped it many many years ago I guess that's what kept us going as well I, I, I want to go back to the early days um, like so 11 years ago that's uh, 2011 um, and if I understand correctly you first started at Alex and then Mutu you joined uh, about a year after that um, so, Alex, let me ask you, what prompted you to to start that uh, in 2011? Like, what was the landscape like and what made you decide to, to start writing? So, I guess that I would link the first thought of starting a blog to something that a professor at university told me. He's a very smart guy. Uh, he told me that if you want to succeed with your career, in the geospatial space, you can have two paths. I mean, you can be a really good engineer or a data scientist or you know, developer and just focus on, on, on technology. Or you can be the guy that actually you know, understand the products, the landscapes, the you know, how things work, uh, the, the market, people and so on 
and I thought about this and I, I, I realized that I will probably be the latter. So oh, I, I, I started to read all of the industry news, uh, or follow events and so on. And I've realized that I really don't like what I read uh, in geospatial media back then. I mean, these were basically very boring websites. And on the other hand, there were these cool tech blogs that oh, were really entertaining to, to, to follow. So I thought that maybe there is actually a room to do something like this for the geospatial uh, word for the geospatial community. And I started to write I mean, on, a, on a weekly basis or biweekly basis. And somehow I realized that, I don't know, maybe like a first hundred people read it, but someone actually read it, someone commented. Uh, I, I was able to, to, to have people discussing about some topic and I realized that maybe there is a potential to do something more with it. So I've reached out to a couple of friends from university uh, and uh, the, the, the general audience. And one of the people that reached out to me that, that he would like to contribute was a young student from India with whom I've met on uh, geospatial uh, conference in Munster. And uh, so we started to talk to Mutu more often and you now somehow we, we became organically uh, partners in, in this whole uh, journey. But one additional motivation that I had back then was also to increase my chances of actually getting my first job or first a real serious job in the in the geospatial uh, space and i can say that i succeeded actually i i got it through contacts that i that i gained when when blogging and actually since then probably every major job change that i had was somehow related to 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 geosomeness so no i i can say that it worked right and then so yeah, let, let, let's go there a little bit. Like what were some of the impacts? Like, was it like finding new jobs, but it was also getting new skills at, at writing about being better at expressing yourself? Uh, maybe not about expressing myself, but certainly it was about pulling together all of these pieces of information that I had about the industry, all of this you know, little news that I've learned here and there. And I, I've learned to put it all together in a, in a way, in this, let's say, analytical way, combining different facts uh, and, and commenting and understanding to, to some extent what are the driving forces for the for the industry for different products what are you know, key limitations bottlenecks challenges and so on and this is certainly something that yeah, that that i've learned while uh while, while doing that while doing it and so how did the how did like you you mentioned you guys met uh, at, a, at a conference how did that partnership start working together 
were you already looking for people to to come in and contribute uh, to the blog, uh, Alex? Because right now you guys say you have a community, you have also people who write for you uh, or for the for Geo Awesomeness. Um, how did that kind of get started moving away from like an individual writing and then to, to opening up to other people? So I, I literally reach out to friends from university initially. Uh, also like young geospatial students or some of them not so young. Sorry, guys. <laughs> not anymore, at least. <laughs> not anymore. Uh, and, and invited them to, to, to blog from time to time to write, to comment, to help their careers as well. Uh, and you no, know, the, the idea was always, first of all, that this is not going to be a media organization or anything. This is a blog about geospatial uh, technologies, about geospatial stories and ideas. So I, I really invited everyone who wanted to contribute to write to, to do that. Perhaps initially it influenced the, the, the quality of the, of the writing as well, because uh, we are you know, trying to professionalize this as well. Can you expand a little bit on that? Like, what do you mean? I, I mean that, you know, if you've got a bunch of students writing, you will not have uh, the same quality of content that you have on Wired. Right. I get you. Uh, so uh, coming back to, to, to the story. So back then this was a platform for anyone who wanted to contribute to, to, to do that. In the same way, Mutu started to write and contribute, and I was contributing and writing. Uh, and still today, we are actually inviting anyone who has some ideas to 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 share, to to do that via the platform. And this is why we call it a community or a community platform because we want anyone who has something to say to 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 use the platform to leverage this platform uh, to 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 do that. Of course, right now we are trying to do it in a more professional way to actually bring more value to the community, to decision makers and so on. Uh, but the principle is still the same. And, and how was it that for you, for you, Mutu, joining the Geosnos in the early days? Immediately when I met Alex, um, so we actually met, the first time we met was in, in Münster in, in Germany, uh, where Alex was organizing a student conference uh, called Geomundus. And I was one of the students presenting at the conference. And by the way, there is also a Geomundus conference happening, I think, this year. So uh, I invite anyone interested. I think it's in Lisbon or in Castellón, Spain. So you guys want to check it out i invite you to do that yeah i'll put that in the show notes that sounds pretty good if people want to check that out yeah it's it's one of the i mean it's a student organized conference so it's um very accessible and very interesting to attend as well um i i don't really remember how i came across geomundus but um i wanted to uh i presented the research article that I was working on together with my professor uh, to the conference. And basically, first of all, they were surprised that there was a submission from India because the conference itself is in Europe, right? I mean, it's in, it, it, back then it was in Germany. 
And long story short, I went to Münster. I, that's when I first met Alex and met everybody else who was there. And it was many, many months later when I realized that Alex actually has a blog. And I was like, wait, I've, I've, I've seen this, this, uh, this face and this guy somewhere. And then, of course, a couple of Google searches later, I realized that we actually had met in, in Münster. So I uh, reached out to him and expressed my interest uh, to join his team, which was back then five members strong. So it was Alex, uh, Rias, Ike, um, and two others that uh, I think was it Stefan I don't remember anyway so it was five members strong um, exactly at that point of time so I reached out to Alex because Alex was the one that was blogging the most the others were not as uh, frequently blogging as Alex and Alex anyway was the contact person uh, for the blog and yeah uh, he was let's say very very open and um, happy about uh, having a sixth member, uh, so to speak, that's how it started. So it was right around the end of 2012, the beginning of 2013, when I wrote the first article. And by the way, I, I've, I've read it a few times and I cannot believe that, um, you know, this is what Alex means when he's talking about the professionalism of the article. If I wish I could um, take that article away, I would definitely do that because after a decade of writing, I recognize uh, the difference uh, between well you um you get better at at at, at um, writing you bet get better at um, conveying what you would like to convey um, and that clearly shows over the I'm not saying that things that I write now are always good or even better than what I've written in the past but you certainly see a difference in the way you approach a topic the way you convey what you like to convey so I, that that's where I'd like to go a little bit more on 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 the editorial side, um, Alex. You mentioned when you were starting, it seems like the the media landscape didn't really scratch that itch for you. So, how do you guys decide uh, what you want to focus on, what you want to to write about? Um, do do you have specific subjects that lined up, and then how you want to explore? Like, what what what's that process like for you? So I guess that we we didn't really you know, professionalize it to have like the full editorial calendar for many months you know, ahead. Uh, normally we 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 look at you know, interesting things that uh, are there in the industry, stories that we would like to share, podcasts that we are listening to, and that uh, actually inspire us about some specific topic or technology or anything else and we we, we draft a brief and try to do some research so maybe this is where we try to be kind of more consistent and and professional to actually understand what do you want to tell in the story rather than just starting uh, uh, describing you know, some of the some of the the, the stuff and yeah this is this is how we this is how we go although we we are starting to 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 explore other opportunities so for example we've got this project called Earth observation hub where we basically invest a lot of time and effort in writing uh, high quality content about earth observation 
And this is also where we invite sponsors to actually uh, sponsor some of the content uh, for us to give us freedom to spend much more time and effort and have professional proofreading uh, and so on, on, on professional support, basically in creating, uh, such, such content. So probably this is where over the course of maybe last one or two years, we are starting to professionalize a little bit the process as, as we are maturing. I mean, Alex spoke about how we've improved or let's say more professionalized the editorial process but fundamentally in terms of choosing topics uh, and deciding what we would like to write about that really hasn't changed since the very beginning because fundamentally it's all about geospatial technology or location technologies as long as it has a spatial component and as long as it somehow um, connects back to what you can do with geospatial data or geospatial tools to change the way businesses work or transform the way society works, uh, then we go for it. Um, this has been like, let's say the driving factor. And this was also one of the reasons why the old website was so cluttered in terms of the content, in terms of the categorization, because we had content on on drones we had content on earth observation we had content on um, trajectory mining we had content on spatial data analysis we had content on gis um, so it was kind of difficult for a non-geospatial person to navigate themselves on the website and this is also one of the reasons when we redesigned the website we decided to make it a bit more accessible for also people who don't necessarily know geospatial but just want to understand it better um, so yeah, bottom line, um, if it has a geospatial component to it, then we usually go ahead and write about it. I mean, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect, when you've had um, the number of people who have written for GeoAwesomeness, like we've had, which is close to 200, um, I think the um, really accurate number would be between 175 and 180. You can't really put a lid on the topics that you want to write about. Because the whole idea of geo-awesomeness is that it's a community platform, right? So then you have to give the freedom to people to write about what they would like to write about. And as long as there is a spatial component, we were more than happy to support that. And we still are more than happy to support that. Maybe there is also one one more important thing to, to, to say. Because at some point, we figure out that we need to post something every day. I don't know when it and where it really came from, but we thought that if you want to be a blog, we, we need to have really a lot of content. And over the years, we've realized that it's actually not true. We don't want to do that anymore. We want to publish when we've got something to say. and We've got interesting stories to share with the community. So sometimes it may be every day, but sometimes it may be you know, every week or even every you know, 10 days or so. Uh, so we don't push ourselves to just publish any content. We really want to focus on original stories, something that 
will bring value to the uh, to, to the community and this is kind of the key focus that we have for the past i don't know year or two years now yeah you, you mentioned alex like you guys don't have the ambition of being a media company but for people who are just doing this for fun and, and don't want to be a media company it seems like there's a lot of thought and, and a lot of process um that goes into that um like mutu you're talking about like redesigning the the website like this is a pretty big endeavor um getting people to proofread things like that so how are you thinking about geo awesomeness as well where it seems like the, those things do require time and, and money um but the way you're talking about it at least is it, it's not a business um so, so how are you guys thinking about that I'd, i'd love to to hear a bit more about that when alex says it's not a media company and when i say it's a media company what we fundamentally mean by that is that we don't want to uh be driven by uh page visits and advertising because this is uh, i mean this was the driving factor for for us to start writing besides the fact that we we wanted to showcase what we were thinking about and our passion for um geospatial this is what has kept us going because we believe um that there is a better way of communicating geospatial to the rest of the world and geospatial to geospatial experts as well and we don't believe that way is the way that the traditional media companies within the space have done. Um, what we want to achieve, what we want to do is more be the wired, the tech crunch, the verge of the geospatial industry, not necessarily copy the template that they have provided, but rather um, the in-depth um, engaging articles that wired does, the more relaxed, laid back, um, consumer focus, technology focus, enthusiasm that some of the articles from The Verge has and focusing more on entrepreneurship and new ideas like TechCrunch does. And we, you don't see that in the geospatial media landscape. Um, and this is the fundamental differentiation for us when we say we don't want to become a media company. That and of course, um, I don't think neither me nor Alex uh, have any ambitions of becoming editors who are, you know, staying up late in the night and deciding what gets published the next morning. This is this is just not us. Uh, we are more focused on on engaging, networking, and publishing whenever we want, rather than having to stick to a rhythm just for the sake of it. So, so maybe one additional very important thing is that we are not journalists yeah that's another thing we are actually engineers right so we we work in the industry during a day we like to write share stories and just have fun doing this after hours but for now at least we don't have intention of doing this full-time or uh, starting up a media company because we like actually working in the industry and uh, rather than writing about this, just kind of, you know, being a part of it. And this is probably also what makes geosomeness a little bit different because when we write a story, we are not, we, we have a different level of understanding of the technologies and a different 
components and the whole ecosystem behind this. And this allows us to go you know, one step deeper or 10 steps deeper than a journalist would do. And this is probably what, what makes us also a little bit different than any other media that, that, that you can find or read. Yeah, this is something that I've, I've put a lot of thought into as well about um, how important um, I see staying like working as an engineer as a product manager or whatever you want but like as someone who's building something rather than um i'm gonna put huge quote marks around just reporting on it um but i feel like there's something that that's very different when when you're also in the trenches also you you have a stake in in building that is that something that you've been you you've been very adamant about keeping like has there been a moment where you've thought like should we go full time on this um, but it has that aspect of like, you want to keep a uh, one feet in, in, in the world of build, building things, not just reporting. Um, well, if Elon Musk were to call us and say, Hey guys, uh, here's 50 million euros, go full time. I'm not going to say no, <laughs> or at least I don't know if Alex will say no, um, but I'm guessing, no, uh, we're going to take the offer and we're going to go full time. Um, but let's be honest, that's not going to happen because, uh, He's probably not yet aware of the awesomeness of geospatial technologies. Um, yeah, I mean, we've had conversations over the over the course of... I mean, when you do something as long as we've been doing it, you definitely have this conversation. Uh, so we've had this conversation. And, and I think fundamentally, we really like, we really enjoy building... Um, geospatial products or being end customers of it which is the case for me right now since uh, my uh, switch to to Deutsche Bahn a couple of years ago but we are still connected to the geospatial industry you know we, we still get to see and we are impacted by the developments of the industry and that's something that's still very exciting and that's still very much difficult to walk away from and say right now I'm just going to be reporting on what happens so it's a bit bit of indecisiveness, I guess. But on the other side, it's just because how awesome it is, you know, to, to, to be able to influence how these things are shaped rather than just being the... It, it's the difference between somehow uh, being a meteorologist and predicting the weather and just being the person who uh, reports it the next morning. Even if you are somehow very, very... Um, uh, capable of understanding the predictions but it's still a lot more fun i guess to to have one foot in the door where you can still analyze the data yourself and understand what it means if if that analogy makes any sense yeah absolutely yeah i don't know what you would be i know that you would be a great weather lady <laughs> i thought we agreed we are not going to comment on my weather reporting skills <laughs> there is something tempting in the vision of being a blogger uh, living somewhere in uh, nice place, uh, warm, nice and warm place, and enjoying your life, and you know, having fun, uh, surfing, and so on. This is probably what people envision when they think about uh, bloggers. But on the other hand, there is something really tempting in and challenging in working in. A, company environment or like in 
our case with, together with Mutu in a corporate environment uh, as well. And, uh, and it's really, uh, I guess that our learning curve in our daytime jobs is still high enough and challenging enough for, for, for now to keep us want doing this just because of the, the, the challenge that uh and ambitions that we that we that we have uh, if that answers your question yeah, yeah yeah absolutely it's 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 really interesting because i i go through those same questions as well uh about like having a full-time job and, and and creating stuff on the side and talking to really cool people and in a way reporting on it but not feeling like a journalist either but but an engineer at heart um, so no, this is, it's really interesting for me to, to hear, uh, your feedback as well. And you guys have been doing this for, 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 for much longer than, than I have. And, but you certainly fit the profile of, uh, the surfing, uh, blogger, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure yeah. if, if, if that was part of the charm or, um, not, but yeah, I, I, I think in the end it, it's, it, uh, it depends, right? Because the, the reasons why. Um, why this has worked so well in terms of geo-awesomeness uh, is not just because of the difference uh, that we have with uh, traditional media companies in the space, but it's also a collaborative effort. I think um, I've been thinking about it a bit. I mean, at the beginning, you asked me to describe Alex and I said, you know, what I admire about him is the fact that he can spot trends and he knows what's coming in the future. Uh, but for some reason, one of the trends that he spotted was that it's um, that open source and collaboration have more value than um, closed communities and you know gateways. So he could have had this blog that he started just as something for him to express his own views, uh, and which is what majority of the blogs are. Um, I, I don't know that many blogs, even outside of the geospatial industry, that are a collective effort by different people rather than just um, the personal space of one person. Um, so in that sense, I think that also made this dynamic a bit different. So if we were considering going full-time, then it also essentially meant that either both of us would do it or the other person would have a very clear reason not to do it. So in a sense, I think the fact that we have such fun doing it together and that we still get to um, have corporate careers and exposure to the geospatial industry kind of made going full-time less interesting at least so far because uh, you know we're, we were having fun at it so there was nothing that was really stopping us we did not necessarily see a lot of um, benefit turning our results into uh, a full-blown full-time employee and another aspect of it is that once you go full-time that it also means that you have to monetize it at a much higher uh, target at a much higher level than you would normally do so that's also something for you to consider i guess yeah can we go into that a little bit uh on on the on the financial side like this is something that i i'm very curious for for di many different kinds of projects um but on the media side i find that especially interesting because well that's something i'm exploring as well how are you guys thinking about that you like one of the things that you mentioned is eo hub um which is a partnership with up 42 if i understood correctly um, but you also talked about sponsored posts, things like that, like that, that, that is starting to work with other companies. How are you guys thinking about that? 
if you are doing this for money, it will it might not work because it's a lot of work and you never know if you will get any you know, revenues. It's a little bit. Uh, uh, I mean, it's like you you it's like being an entrepreneur, right? So you you, you actually cannot predict really the, the the revenues, and we we never really cared about uh, making money, but we slowly started to realize that companies see value in what we do, and that they can put a price tag on it. And I mean, initially we were putting probably really low price tag because we didn't really realize that there is some value uh, in it. And with time we started to realize that we can actually, uh, that, that, that we deliver significant value to these companies. Uh, so we, we started to to go in partnerships, like with partnership with Up42 and have uh, sponsors of events that we are making and, and so on, have some banners on the website. But important thing is that we actually invest probably nearly everything that we are making on the website, like back into you know, redesign, into being able to pay writers or proofreaders or graphic designers, um, like video editors, uh, and so on. From time to time, we are able to buy ourselves some nice gadgets, uh, which is you no, know, which is which is uh, fun or neat or meet in person, which is another thing that we probably should talk about during this uh, podcast. But if we would be making this and thinking about this as a as a business, this would surely not be no not be fun anymore for us. There, there is some fun in making uh, money and understanding that you actually generate this value to to to, to companies. No, certainly, and we want to always do the best job. We are far from really exploring the full potential that is out there and we keep want to do that better in a way that it's also like fair to the community we we never push any you know, press releases or anything anything like this that could you know, harm the the community we are still learning how to do that in a in the best way i think what you mentioned about reinvesting things is is the way i've thought about it is like you you start doing this um because you really like it um but then you realize oh um you know if i do this it starts it, i could make it better as well you're talking about like proofreading uh, or designers i think is a very good example uh because writing is is one thing but making very good designs for example is a completely other uh thing and yet that really helps a lot and you realize, oh, I, I probably, if I want something good, I have to pay someone to do it. Um, and then that, that makes the process better. So that, at least that's the way I'm, I'm currently thinking about it as well. And it, it seems to be a little bit the same for you guys about like making, 
making continuing to make it better and then bringing in money for that process because i enjoy it so much i want to make it better than what i can do uh, on my own it seems like that that's how you're thinking about it as well that's one aspect of it and the other aspect of it is that money in itself is also means to do good right one of the things that alex and i feel very very passionate about and that's one of the reasons why i've been working on geosomeness for so long is that we truly believe that this technology and what we do has the ability uh, to transform the world for the better one of the biggest challenges that we face as a society is climate change and when you look around one of the biggest tools that we have as a society as a species to tackle it is geospatial is earth observation is data analysis, all of those things together. And when you look at it, there are already organizations that are doing real good um, using maps. Uh, two organizations that we have supported and we continue to support over the years is uh, Humanitarian Open Street Maps and Map Action. And there is a lot we can do in terms of, you know, creating awareness for their work and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, these organizations need money as well. Um, so that's the other aspect of it um, in terms of raising revenues through geo-awesomeness that we realized, okay, there is the potential for us to be able to, you know, financially support, even if it's as little as 1,000 euros, but financially support these organizations. Um, or even, you know, um, the, the other day I was... Um, uh, talking with members of uh, Ladies of Lansard and Sisters of Sar, and we were discussing um, something as rudimentary as, hey, there is a, a, a colleague of ours uh, from United States who is looking to go to a conference, but um, she cannot financially afford it. Is there a way that we could do something? And then, we, I mean, I, I realized, hey, if we had enough revenue that we could establish a travel grant, um, where we could support people on a regular basis because this is something we did uh, in the past where we had one of my um, former um, alma maters where we supported people to go to conferences in India and stuff, things like this. So that's the other aspect of it. So I, I, I think it took us, I don't know, Alex, seven, eight years before we realized that, you know, raising revenue, raising uh, money, isn't necessarily evil doesn't necessarily mean that we are selling out because that was the, the, the i think the, the existential challenge we had um because it was kind of easy to 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 see the value of what we were doing for companies i mean uh, it's not just um, creating awareness it's it's much more than that it's helping them understand the needs of of the community the needs of the, of the market connecting them to the right people um, driving the conversation. This is what we do through the uh, online uh, meetups that we do. I mean, they're all sponsored events, but at the end of the day, it feels very much like a community event because the company gets to understand the needs of the industry, understands the needs of their customers better, and people who attend also gain more information and knowledge about what's happening. But to get to that point where we really understood that we're not necessarily selling our souls and and somehow um, 
violating the principles of uh, community building by raising revenue took took us a while and i i see that you struggle with similar challenges and i was really really happy when you wrote this long blog post um, describing um, how people can support you and what this means but i was also um, um you know shaking my head um because you felt the need to actually explain every single detail you felt the need to say this is really what it costs for me to maintain this endeavor Uh, what you do is is of value to the community what you do is of value to the industry and what you are selling you maxime with your podcast and advertising to companies is a way to connect with an audience that they would have not necessarily been able to reach would is is a way to communicate the benefits of their product the benefits of what they do um to an audience that they're probably not reaching today or not probably Uh, reaching in the depth and reaching in um, in kind kind of detailed understanding, so essentially you are helping them, um, you know, better communicate to their end customers, and that's of value. That's fundamentally how you know marketing and and advertising works. The fact that you feel that you um, have to explain it is is the dilemma that we face for many years and. I kind of understand it's a personal journey for everyone, but if I wish uh, one thing, it's that more people who are, let's say, self-organized, independent media, as, as you once termed it, realize the value in what they're doing. And as long as you're not commercializing it completely, as long as you're not just inviting people onto your podcast for the sake of... Uh, advertising for the sake of big bucks which is usually what happens you know when people realize that they can raise revenues then very quickly 80 90% of the conversation becomes about how do i generate revenues and how do i get people to pay more for my services and this is the trap but on the other side um if you try to f if you find the balance then it's it's totally worth doing it and i i see no reason why you have to justify the cost i think that's kind of clear to everyone i struggle with it myself alex struggles with it as well but i think in the end what you do uh, as as the podcaster behind my mind behind maps has as value for both the listener and the company that's sponsoring it as well and you have to just accept that money is part of the transaction yeah let, let, let me jump in uh, on that because so at least for me the reason i do that is not for the company it's for the listener um And, and this is why I ask questions about like, how is, are things funded? Because I think there's a, um, there's a lack of understanding and transparency about how things make money, how companies make money and how projects make money. Um, and I think for a lot of things, we have a lot of expectations that, that, that things should be free. Um, and, and I think overall, there's a, a misunderstanding of what things cost to produce um and and that's especially true for for media um i think another example is like mobile apps just people expect that they're free um and and anything else is is out of the norm and it creates these weird business models that actually aren't necessarily in favor of anybody um and i feel like the reason i'm doing that is i want to be transparent to, towards the people who are listening not necessarily for for the companies about like this is what you get and things like that like i, I think that's important But for me, it's it's creating that trust about like, look, um, 
I I have advertisers uh, and I'm I'm going to charge money for it and I'm going to try to charge more and more as I go. Um, and this is why, because I think these things um, take a lot of, of money as we're as we're seeing here. But I also want to make sure that that transaction about like people give me their attention, give me some of their time for for these conversations um, that is understood by listeners um, because we understand it because we're on the back end of it and, and we make those deals with companies. Um, I think if it's written or if it's a podcast, uh, it, it, it feels like it's a little bit the same thing. But I, I feel like talking about it with other people around me, not necessarily everybody understands that. A lot of people don't understand how much work it takes to, to create those. Um, and not everybody's going to go on that page and, and, and read that page. But it's more about like the, the people who will be. Um, I, I want more of those pages about like, okay, how does this make money? How does Wired make money? We were talking about those. Or The Verge, how do they make money? Um, and why do they do that? Why is there not a subscription model? I'd be happy to pay them. Um, I, I, I subscribe to things like The Economist or, or, or um, some private newsletters. And I pay some content creators online. But I, I feel like having a diversity of business models also allow these things to, to go into the future, like to, to, to work over the long term. Wire does have a subscription model, by the way. Um, <laughs> the words doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I get what you mean. Um, and I guess the template, in, in that sense, the fact that Wired um, also has an advertising um, side to it. And that's kind of also what encouraged us to have this uh, journalistic collaboration with Up42. Uh, with Earth Observation Hub because we essentially realized advertising is one part of the equation. The other part of the equation is that what 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 is it that the that we fundamentally want to do? You know, we want to create content that enables people to understand the industry better, whether that's a geospatial expert or whether that's a non-geospatial expert. We want to build bridges between the two worlds. And this is costing a lot of energy. This is costing a lot of research. This is costing a lot of time, fundamentally. Plus all the professional um, services that you need when you want to really create content of a high professional value. So one way of financing that would be advertising, right? Essentially, you go to companies and tell them, hey, I've got a platform. You can reach out to people. The other way that we we are lucky that you know Up42 decided to jump into this idea that we had was to say, okay, you've got an idea that you want to build this platform and try to connect uh, people on both sides of the world when it comes to Earth observation. That means that you need financial support to go and create that content. And so let's do that. So it's not an advertising deal but rather a collaboration where they support the work that we do. So that's the other half of the... I mean, we've, we've had conversations as well where, where I you know, essentially told you we're looking to encourage conversations with different people in the industry through podcasts. And if there is a way for us to financially support that conversation to happen, then we are going to do it. It's not because we believe that the person who's going to be on your podcast is essentially going to sing our praises. More often than not, they don't even know us. But there are conversations that need to happen. And if it's not happening because of 
financial reasons, you know, reasons like, hey, I can only produce X number of podcasts a, a month. And if I need to do the ninth one, then I would need to hire an audio editor because I just don't have the time. Then let's make that happen. Or, you know, uh, Ladies of Lansat and Sisters of Sarah are now, uh, you know, uh, taking over Seen Above Earth uh, podcast and they, they have their own struggles with how to um, get uh, time to work on it and to, to find video editors or audio editors, whatever. So the, that's the other part of the equation as well that where I believe that we want to get into more uh, you know, enable conversations, enable content to be created, whether that's through advertising or whether that's through direct partnership. Yeah, that's that's one of the things I thought you guys were doing, which is really cool, which is like not just growing Geo Awesomeness, the brand, but like it seems like the mission that you're on of let's make geospatial more accessible in, in terms of information, at least. Uh, like I, I've been like very... I have a lot of respect for what you guys on do on 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 that side. Yeah, I I learned it from Alex. Um, to be perfectly honest, um, and I and I and I don't say it because he's my friend or I've been working with him for ten years. Because there have been many a times when I've had a slight hesitation to choose for let's say more openness and more collaboration, and in that sense, since the very beginning. I think he's been the one who's been for for more collaboration and more openness than you might decide at a juncture. So at some point when you have to listen to the same person for a decade, you kind of get um, <laughs> used to it and then you start speaking in the same tone and voice. So in that sense, I absolutely learned that from Alex. One of the things I wanted to ask you guys is... Um, you mentioned very fairly Imutu, that geospatial is, is a really important part of, of you know today's society a lot of the technologies are like that there, there's a lot of tough conversations that need to happen about what we can do with geospatial and what what we should do with it what we shouldn't do as well is that something that you think about um as well about like having a critical eye um about what is capable with you know location data for example when in, in times of covid um or, or like just a lot of things around privacy um, do, do you see a sense of responsibility towards like touching some of those topics or, or bringing in people who can talk about those topics that that might not be um, super easy to, to talk about? I'm, I'm very curious to, to know how you deal with that for the simple matter of fact that I also uh, wonder sometimes how to how to tackle some of these questions. So, so this is uh, I mean. There are stories that needs to be that needs to be told in the in the industry, right? And uh, it is not always easy to 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 tell them. Uh, if we are doing it in the right way, it is not always the case. We would love to do much more and and tell much more of those stories. Uh, for sure, uh, we are trying. I guess we are trying our best to 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 have these conversations. the The challenge that we always have is limited amount of time because I mean we spend on on the project two hours a day, like on on average, right? So maybe eight hours a week. So we cannot tell all of the stories 
and uh, which is a bit of a of, of a challenge. That's right. Do, do you have maybe like examples of, of of times where you've thought about this? Like, should we talk about this or or, or not? Not. I mean, uh, to to. So your question was basically if we um, had thought about whether we should be an active participant in some of the difficult conversations that the geospatial industry has to have, whether that's um, surrounding data privacy, whether that's surrounding um, gender equality and things like this. I, I, I don't think essentially Alex or I never had a conversation where we said, hey, um, this is a topic we should not touch. There was once an incident where Alex wrote a sarcastic article about the earth being flat, which um, ended up becoming an internet sensation. <laughs> That's uh, amazing. <laughs> and I had to, to basically tell him, I don't necessarily believe that people get that sentence where you were being ironic. Um, so then we had to add a, um, essentially, but I mean, that's the one thing that comes to my mind where where I actively called Alex and said, "Hey, this is perhaps something you know i I know that uh, that we are being sarcastic, but apparently the flat earth society didn't didn't get the memo but yeah I'm typically always so so much fascinated by the technology itself that i I probably try to focus and always think about benefits. Right, right, right. Right, rather than thinking about risks associated to to, to using it. The risks, they are, I mean, they are obvious. And frankly speaking, I don't know how to tackle them very often, or there is no easy to do that. So I always prefer to focus on how this technology could be used for good to make life better or to make place. So we normally, we probably have a lot of conversations with Mutu about uh, still being fascinated about the technologies and you know, sharing some really cool new stuff uh, rather than, uh, rather than thinking about risks and, and uh, some consequences of, technologies maybe it shows that you know we are still uh, in our uh, early fascination days with the technology which is cool after so many years well that's one aspect of it and the other aspect of it is that there are people who do it better than us i mean maxim you've had one of your first guests was dennis mckenzie and she has this initiative uh, where they were basically looking for good examples of how location data and location data ethics um, can be presented. And we were supporting, I mean, Dennis is, is, is really amazing. Um, she's definitely one of the people who has made your awesomeness better. And I've learned a lot from her. And so essentially when she was already working on it, um, it felt like it was not a conversation that we needed to repeat. So we just amplified what she was working on. That's one aspect of it. And the other aspect of it is that luckily for us, some of the more negative um, and destructive aspects of location data and location data privacy gets picked up by uh, larger tech organizations and tech blocks. I mean, Wired wrote 
several beautiful articles on the risks of location data. And they even had a, a recent article where they interviewed um, a couple of researchers who came up with a way in which uh, mobile phone operators don't need to know where you are because fundamentally every SIM card is tracked um, and that's not needed. And they wrote a research article about it first and this was picked up by Wired which explained what it is and so on. And I even shared it with Alex. And now um, the same researchers decided to launch their own mobile phone carrier because they realized that the various zones of the world were necessarily invest interested in decoupling it. So in that sense, uh, and we ended up um, sharing the article on social media, sharing it with the rest of the community. So if I'm being honest, the more negative aspects of the technology is usually covered by the larger organizations because the, it's, it, the, the conversation about data privacy pick, picks up. But I think we definitely um, also need to be part of the conversation. That's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is also, it really differs between geographies. Um, as somebody who comes from India, I know the conversation about data privacy is not on the top priority for most people. Um, because fundamentally, um, it's more the do good and hope that they don't do evil part of it and the benefit that people see from technology um, that drives the conversation rather than uh, what can go wrong. I, I think it's super important to have like people who are optimist as well about technology, about the future. I, I feel like sometimes it's very easy to... to um kind of you know throw your arms up and be like what's the point like there's uh global warming and inflation and covid and all that stuff and i i i do think it's really important to, to have people who are very vocal about like the benefits and even if things are definitely not uh, just good all the time I, I i do think being able to convey optimism towards the future and, and get people excited about technology and about the future is like super important as well um, I still just wanted to ask the, the question about like, have you guys thought about it? Um, and it's very interesting to, to, to hear your thought on that. I think it's, it is really important to, to have like the way you talk about it, Alex, about like, no, I'm just like a super interested in the tech and I want to talk about that. That, 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 that makes a lot of sense. And I think we need more of that. Yeah, I guess we never really spoke about what can go wrong with location. I mean, once or twice, maybe because I'm more interested in it and I keep sharing articles, but it was never like <laughs> a, a full blown conversation like, oh, my God, um, you know, we have to stop uh, sharing data or something like that. Yeah, I, I'm ignoring it when you when when you talk about it. <laughs> yeah. I'm just I'm just so fascinated about the the, the technology itself. No, and uh, somehow I. I'm a life optimist always, and I, I always think about you know, the, the, the good that can come out of it. Um, maybe I'm too optimistic sometimes, but yeah, I cannot change this nature. That's one of the reasons why this partnership works so well, because um, usually Alex is the more, uh, everything will work out, and I'm the one who can already point out 10 things that can go wrong. So in the end, we balance each other out. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. If there's if there's other things like what 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 makes you guys working together so good? I feel like that's one element. But if you guys have been working for a decade together, like there's there's got to be more uh, as well. 
I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. Hard to say, right? But but one thing that I can tell you, Maxim, if you are thinking about you know, doing this uh, for longer, it's better to do it in duo than doing it in solo. Because, I mean, it's really... I, I think that it's really amazing that we talk with Mutu twice a week, 7 a.m. before breakfast, and we discuss all of the ideas and we are critical. And I mean, we would love to always do more, but then we've got time limitations and we are not able to, to, to complete things. But being able to actually discuss your ideas with someone who can critically tell that you're wrong or right or that he believes that it makes sense or it doesn't make sense. I think that this is really uh, one of key factors why we are doing this for uh, such a long time. And I know that you know, we, I know that Mutu will be always transparent with me and and no uh, and, and he will give me the the right level of criticism or support when it's needed and also the other way around yeah absolutely and i think it's also the fact that we've got fundamentally you would i think if somebody else were to listen to those conversations they wouldn't be surprised how often we disagree with each other um, it's not always that we have the same ideas. It's not always the same uh, that we have the same way of how we should approach things. But what it also did very often was that when we disagreed, we disagreed um, with a proposal that made the conversation better. Um, that was one aspect, and I, uh, yeah, I've I've learned a, learned a lot from Alex. I mean, he's the the senior in the partnership and he's got more work experience as well. That's a polite way of telling he's older than me. <laughs> um, that's one aspect of it. And the other aspect of it is, I guess, we also have, you know, complementary set of skill sets. Sometimes Alex is the more visionary who comes up with a crazy idea that may or may not work. And other times it's just, me who uh, writes an email to NASA just because, you know, why not? What can go wrong? And then you get a response from them. So, yeah, in that sense, it's uh, it's a very complementary sinusoidal relationship where one ebbs and the other flows and the other way around. Yeah, I mean, it's also about uh, life situations, for example, right? So, I mean, some of when one of us has, I don't know, like in my case, you no know, little baby at home to to focus on, or wedding, uh, like in case of Mutu, or I don't know, moving to a new city, or switching jobs, or doing all the other things that take a lot of time, and you cannot focus for a month or two months or a couple of months on. On the blog, then the the other one is covering, which is also uh, something really important uh, when you are doing this just after hours. 
But I have to admit, it kind of feels strange to be talking about the partnership because it's not something I think on a regular basis. So it's when you have to vocalize it, it, it feels strange because it just comes naturally. Right. Yeah, um, I guess yeah. that's a good sign, like when, when it just works between you guys. Yeah, I guess that's that's for sure. At least that's how I feel. And I'm pretty sure Alex has a list of complaints that we need to discuss about later on. But we don't have ten hours to go. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> let, let me ask you. Let me ask you guys about like the um, the, the state of of social media and and media, I guess, in in general these days. Like, do you guys think about like how TikTok is huge, for example, now, and how YouTube is is the second biggest search engine? Um, did you guys think about these things? Uh, let let. Let, let me let me comment on the TikTok thing because I'm actually too old for this. <laughs> so I don't have TikTok and I've never seen a TikTok video in my life, uh, which makes it, uh, well, I'm not proud of it because we are probably losing a channel to get to uh, some young people that could benefit from it. But it's also about focus. So in each social media channel takes, I don't know, 15 minutes or 20 minutes of your time. If you've got two hours to spend on it every day or one hour to spend on it every day, you need to be wise about your choice and, and think about this consciously. I'm, I'm just talking from like purely technical perspective of the, the challenges that we, we have with Moodle. So uh, we try to focus uh, more. So for example, using LinkedIn to get to the professional community, uh, we, we want to use more video content and generate more video content, which is uh, an ongoing process we, we are working on. Uh, but uh, I I see, for example, how I lost my interest in Twitter over the, the course of the past year or two. And I've transitioned myself to be more LinkedIn user because I see just much more valuable content uh, over there. But it also starts to be a little bit like it's that there is a bit too much uh, content mess happening there as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, a challenging uh, question and challenging task to manage it well. But I think that we are slowly starting to understand how, thing, how things work. So, for example, what is the lifespan of a post on Twitter versus lifespan of a post on LinkedIn and try to uh, plan some kind of a, a strategy uh, around this. Because at the end, what we want to do is we want our message to get to people. We don't want to uh, spam. We, we really want to reach the right audience. And if we've got something valuable to share, we want people to, to, to learn about this. Um, 
when you asked the question, I was smiling like a 15-year-old uh, teenager. And the reason was when one of the first, when, when Twitter was becoming big and we, we started our um, Twitter account, I think Alex probably hated me for a bit of time because I could not stop talking about Twitter and how awesome it was. And I could not for the life of me understand why we should be maintaining a newsletter. Because at that time I told him, emails are dead. Nobody's going to use it in a couple of years from now. Let's just go all in on Twitter and forget about emails. Um, I think it's been five, six years since we had this conversation. And I'm the one now who's maintaining the newsletter. And I'm the one who's sending out the newsletters, even though I still, uh, you know, take care of Twitter as well, fundamentally, because if we're being honest, um, most of these social media, if, including TikTok, they're not designed like, around retaining your attention on a topic. They're designed around keeping you entertained. And attention spans are shorter and shorter uh, Yesterday, someone told me that the average attention span is now 2.4 seconds. And I was not sure if we are still talking about humans or goldfish, but that's where we are. Um, whereas, you know, so essentially the newsletter that we have is still the best way we reach the audience. It still has a much higher engagement reach, uh, rate than the other um medium as well and it's the same for me as well i mean i'm starting to consume more and more of my information through uh newsletters from other organizations regardless of whether that's the wired because they have got a bunch of newsletters when you subscribe uh, and pay for their service or whether it's other geospatial newsletters so that's one aspect of it and the other aspect of it is i guess um the platform itself evolves through time right i mean alex and i we're getting older if i can put the emphasis on the air um, and that also kind of means that we're not going to be necessarily interested in tiktok uh, which would have been the case five years ago for me at least and alex was couldn't be bothered about twitter even back then uh, but yeah why not if you want to do tiktok videos <laughs> if that's the way to to reach an audience i guess we we should look into it but i don't know um at some point, you 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 get a bit, um, let's say, platform independent, and you become more focused on what you want to say. I like that notion of focus about like not trying to spread yourself too thin and then jumping on the next uh, the next thing. Um, on that, do you guys have like advice for uh, for younger people? Because like you are, you you guys like are visible online and and you have a a presence online. Um, do you do you have advice for like like you mentioned students are a big target audience that you're trying to go for um like specifically in geospatial for example like what what do you think you know people that are coming out of school today do you think they should be present online how do you think about that what, what would you tell them i think alex has to take it uh, in, in order of seniority right <laughs> thank you thank you age before beauty uh, I can comment on this because I'm actually recruiting quite a lot of people to, to, to my team. And 
there are a couple of things that are important, right? And it's to, to show that you are not an average person, to show that you are passionate about uh, the, the, the things that you're going to do at, at your work, to show that uh, you are doing something extra or something extraordinary. So to show that you've been, for example, writing, writing articles on LinkedIn or writing at Geosomeness uh, or, I don't know, doing some video tutorials or perhaps doing some volunteering projects uh, in one of the humanitarian organizations that we, that we spoke about or at university. This is something that, that really no matter. And uh, we had a lot of examples, a lot of cases of people that used geosomeness to get specific uh, job position. And they, they've realized the goal and then you know, they, they probably stopped contributing that much to, to the blog, which is fine because I mean, as long as you've got something important to say, it's it's important for you to actually you know, convey this message. And if it's if you're gonna use it for good, it's uh, on, for your own purpose. It's uh, it, it's still fine. But uh, no, my personal example of how I've been using the blog to for, for the benefit of my career at different levels at the beginning, but also then you know, becoming a manager and so on. Uh, I, I, I think that at any stage of your career, it actually matters to, to do something extra to, to show that you can in independently think, uh, yeah, I think that, that it's really, really important. I have a slightly different viewpoint than Alex does on this. Um, and I think my thinking on this has, has, has evolved a bit over the years. So first and foremost, um, geosomeness has been, um, let's say transformative for, for me and my career. Um, the current job that I have at Deutsche Bahn, uh, the recruiter who wrote me, uh, found me, or at least wrote me because she also mentioned a couple of the articles that I had written and so on and so forth. So in that sense, it's it's definitely been useful. And I don't necessarily think that writing or podcasting or creating videos is only a way uh, to showcase that you are doing uh, something extra or extraordinary. Fundamentally, and I think this is important regardless of where you are in your career and more so when you are a younger professional is that the more people that you know, the more information that you can process, the better decisions that you can make, right? The, the more connections you have, the, the more inspirations you will get, the more avenues for opportunities that you can actually see. Uh, because if you are living in in your city and you only interact with the few people that are around you, then the number of ideas that you have are essentially limited unless you are having an IQ that's, you know, beyond the average, uh, which is certainly not the case for me. 
um, which means that the only way that I'm going to get better at it is through the collective knowledge of other people, through having interactions with different people. And I think when you have a blog, when you have a podcast, when you have a video series, then it gives you a reason, gives you an excuse to reach out to other people and to have conversations that you perhaps would not be able to have otherwise. And that's the underrepresented aspect of being present online. It's, uh, I mean, it, it could be as something as simple as um, having a newsletter where you curate the top five news stories of the week. You're not necessarily writing something new, but you're creating value, which means that then you have an excuse to talk to someone else in the industry just to get their opinion. And in this sense, that's really amazing because the more people you interact with and there are really smart people um, that you surround yourself with, the better your own ideas and decision-making are going to get. I've benefited immensely from that. Um, yeah, I think that's the biggest takeaway for me. Uh, I think networking is is really important not just for the sake of it but to keep your eyes and your ears open and to observe as much as information possible and if blogging writing creating content is going to give you an excuse and going to give you an advantage to talk to other people then you should be taking it and um, the other day i was having a conversation from uh, a colleague from the geospatial industry who does it really really well even much better than me um, and she was surprised how often people are afraid just to reach out to others uh, and to say hey i'm xyz and i'm working on this i just need 10 minutes of your time she was just describing how she, how she approaches it which is basically i'm xyz and i have something that i want to discuss with you do you have 10 minutes Okay, um, you write 100 people, 10 people might respond, but that's still 10 people that you would have normally not spoken to, 10 people whose collective knowledge that you benefit from. And that's something quite valuable. Even my regular interactions with Alex, um, that's what I mean when I say he spots trends. You know, um, If I'm not able to do it, but someone else is able to do it on a regular basis, but then I benefit from that knowledge. No, I'm not doing anything additional. And it's the same uh, with the conversations that I have had with people like um, Dennis. You know, she's really amazing. Her network is so huge. But because I get to talk to her on a regular basis, but I, then I also see that the data ethics side of things, or the you know the difficulties with location privacy and things like this, which I don't normally think about on my own. So essentially, this opens up a wide variety of possibilities because then you spot career opportunities that you may not otherwise spot. So even if you have the best search engine in the world, you still need to know what the information is telling you and people are the best way to do that. And if people don't know where to go, GeoAwesomeness is a great place to start. <laughs> That's the difference between a professional content creator like yourself, Maxime, and me because I would have um, not probably thought about it. <laughs> Um, I, I think that's a nice place to, to, to start rounding it off. Um, but, but before that, um, I, I do like asking people for um, for books that they like reading or for podcasts. 
um, because I think it's pretty interesting. Like you, you, you get to understand people a little bit better. And um, I think it's very uh, on the topic, like books and podcasts are, are pretty hard to discover. Um, a lot of it is through word of mouth. So if, if maybe there's like a book and a podcast each that, that you would recommend uh, people take a look at, it doesn't have to be anything about geospatial, uh, just something that you think is valuable and, and worth uh, checking out. Okay, let me go first because I love reading and I'm always looking out for uh, books to read. Uh, at any given point of time, I at least have two or three of them lying around the house and then that I'm reading at the same time. Um, but if I have to recommend one book, uh, I guess right now the book that I would recommend is a book called 4,000 Weeks. Um, that one was kind of interesting for several reasons but fundamentally because it you know alex was mentioning it earlier that the, the biggest difficulty we have is time and this kind of helped me accept the fact that we're not going to be able to do everything but whatever we do it should be a conscious decision to do it and it's it's a really beautiful book and i think that would be one book that i would recommend um podcast recommending that one a lot to pretty much everybody who's listens to me talk about it i can't really shut up about it so it's a, it's yeah, a great book it's 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 a really great book uh, i completely agree with you um and maybe another one um since i you kind of um, hijacked it and said it's also a favorite of yours uh, it's <laughs> <Go> another <ahead. laughs> um it's a book called uh, peak performance mm-hmm. um it, it's really nice for a variety of reasons but um as people who are not professional athletes we tend to downplay the importance of rest we tend to downplay the importance of taking a break even if you are in the zone even if you are really really productive and peak performance i think was useful in that sense because i mean it's 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 a, it's a lot more but it gives you the uh, viewpoint also from professional athletes and so on so that's maybe another one that i would recommend right from the top of my mind Right. In terms of podcasts, um, of course, I guess I should recommend Mind Behind the Maps, but that's kind of a bit idiotic because if people are not <laughs> not listening to this conversation, they're not going to be probably listening to it in the first place. Uh, it doesn't matter if I recommend it or not. But um, a podcast that I really, really like, really, really like, and it has nothing to do with the geospatial industry, is a podcast called The Rational Reminder. Um, it's two Canadians talking about finance and interviewing people who have absolutely nothing to do with finance so psychologists economists and all of those things so if you want to you know um, understand uh, personal finance better and understand the psychology behind it and all of those things that's a really nice podcast to check out great alex so when it comes to uh, books I can surely recommend you tons of kids' books because this is what I read. Uh, Let's do it every 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 evening. Uh, but but one of the things that one of the books that really transformed my way that I think about uh, managing teams and uh, being a better leader is No Rules from the uh, CEO of Netflix. Yeah, and. I mean, I don't agree with all of the things that he mentions, sure, 
but there are a couple of things that are uh, really true, like the, the culture of giving uh, feedback uh, or the, 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 the goal, the key goal that you should have in your team to actually have the high concentration of talents. Mm. Uh, it, it changed the way that I started to think about like building and assembling also my teams at work, which is, uh, I, I recommend anyone really reading, reading this book. Uh, when it comes to podcasts, I will actually, uh, share with you how I started to listen to podcasts, uh, maybe a couple of months ago. Of course, I've got my go-to podcasts about geospatial and, and drone technologies. There are not too many of those. So, I mean, probably a lot of people who, who, who listen to this podcast would also follow the, the others. But one thing that I've noticed is that I actually look for specific topics and look for you know, podcasts that, uh, that, that have discussions with people from specific companies or talking about specific topics. So, uh, it, it's, it's interesting that uh, it's it actually what I do with YouTube and we've been talking about this, that podcasts start to be a similar thing. I look for interesting conversations regarding a specific topic and sometimes, uh, it, it doesn't really matter where I find it. What matters is the topic that is discussed mm. and people who, uh, who a specific post podcaster is talking to, which I find it, I, I, I think that you know, it's interesting that uh it, it it will probably the way that people will start consuming podcasts uh, as well this will be just a, a very good source of information about a given topic yeah i guess we we really didn't, didn't talk about like how people you don't you don't just show up and and make stuff you need people to find it as well it's, it's not necessarily a topic we we went into that much but yeah it's it's fun. Like YouTube is actually like the biggest podcasting platform at the moment, uh, bigger than Apple Podcasts and, and Spotify. So the, that whole landscape is 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 also changing. Um, but it, it, outside of geospatial, is there like a, a specific, maybe even an episode? Actually, it doesn't have to be a a, a whole podcast. But is there something that you would recommend people uh, check out? Uh, I I actually have a podcast that I listen to regularly, but it's a Polish one. Okay. Uh, so, so I'm not sure, uh, I'm not sure if, if, it, if it will be me meaningful for you guys, but it's called Joe Zagraniczny. You're going to have to send me that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I mean, it, it's a guy that discusses, uh, global political and social and economic challenges, uh, from countries that you would normally not hear about in the media. Africa, Oceania, Latin America. Yeah, if you can send me that, we'll, we'll so I know there's some people from Poland who listen, so we'll we'll put that for absolutely for those. Alex yeah. and his family, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
guys th thank you very much for for coming here spending some of your valuable time with me and, and and telling me a little bit about um how you've built been building geo awesomeness it's, it's it's been really nice uh i'm as i said i have a lot of respect for what you guys have been building and and doing and just uh i i think i realized like not that long ago that you guys had been going on for so long and and that is definitely an inspiration as well so thanks for the chat the pleasure is all ours yeah it, it was it was a pleasure and you know i hope that we will have a chance to cover on the blog 10th anniversary of uh minds behind maps uh, podcast so i mean we i'm a big fan uh and you know really meaningful converse conversations that you have with also very interesting people right and this is this is uh what makes this podcast better than all the others out there than the selection of guests that you have uh, yeah so really great job and hope to see more podcasts coming thank you appreciate that i think that the fun thing is actually like i started the podcast i, I realized that after but not very uh, far away from your 10 year, uh, of, of when geo awesomeness started. So I feel like if, if, if we celebrate the 10 years of minds behind maps, that's probably going to coincide with the 20 years of geo awesomeness, which sounds like a pretty cool thing to celebrate. Looking forward to that. I mean, we can, um, have a joint, uh, party somewhere in the, in the <laughs> yeah, Netherlands. My calendar is pretty open for like, right now I don't have much booked, so I feel like that's all right. <laughs> Ah, okay. Good to know. I mean, um, since I've been living in Germany, I've kind of gotten used to planning things in advance. So if we're talking 2030, it should be fine. <laughs> yeah, put it in your calendar. <laughs> you you would be surprised. <laughs> Guys, thank you very much for the chat. Thanks for having us. Thanks. If you found this conversation valuable, I'd like to ask if you could consider reviewing this podcast, either on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, if you're listening to the podcast. You can also head to mindsbehindmaps.com. There's a section to leave a review there. The reason I ask that is because it lets other people know that this show is worth listening to, but it also helps me make a better case when I want to reach out to specific guests. I can point to that and be, look, some people find these conversations really interesting. This is worth your time. If you're on YouTube, I'd appreciate if you could also let me know what you think about these conversations, what you found useful about them, and maybe what I can improve about it. Either way, thank you very much for listening, and I hope to catch you next time. Cheers.